and I'm the other half of the Liz, Liz Peter duo. Um, Liz and I have been married for, uh, oh, 47 and a bit years now. And um, th this, by the way, that we're now moving into the statutory joke before we get to the sermon, okay? Um, <laughs> uh, and um, one of the things we agreed on when we got married is we, ha we had a little rule. Liz, Liz knows what's coming now. We had a little rule. We said that we would never have three things in our house. The Daily Telegraph, <laughs> margarine, and pink loo paper. <laughs> now, since then, we have reneged on one of those three. Margarine has been seen in our fridge. <laughs> rules. We like to have rules. And we like, to, um, if we're honest, to judge each other by the rules that we keep. So that's where we're going today. Uh, we're looking at um, the, the, the series of One Another, and there are four sermons in this series. We had one of them two weeks ago. We've got one of them next week, and then there's another two-week gap while we're at the circus, and then the final one will be the last Sunday in August. So next week, um, we've got Andrew coming to speak. And you must come next week because Andrew, Sue, and I are planning a little surprise for you. Right. <laughs> one another. The topic today is let's not judge one another. Now, this is a pretty heavy topic, so what I've done is I've got two sort of rather heavy, solid bits in the sermon and a lot of not very solid bits in between. We had the first one. We had the joke about the margarine. The, the bit about the Daily Telegraph was not a joke. Okay. Um, and... Um, so, we're going to have the Bible reading now, and that's one of the two sort of right, quite sort of solid, indigestible parts of the sermon. It's quite a long Bible reading, and it's quite a complicated Bible reading, and if you want to follow it, it's in Romans 14, but I've altered the translation slightly, so what you will see on the screen is not exactly what you will find in the church Bibles. So, there will be three slides that will come up for the, the, um, the, uh, the Bible reading, and you'll see underlined on the middle one the, the reference to one another, which is why we've got it in this series. So don't judge one another. Romans chapter 14. Accept the one who is weak in the faith without quarreling over disputable matters. One's per person's faith allows them to eat anything, but another who is weak in the faith eats only vegetables. The one who eats everything must not treat with contempt the one who does not. And the one who does not eat everything must not judge the one who does, for God has accepted them. Who are you to judge someone else's servant? To their own master, servants stand or fall, and they will stand, for the Lord is able to make them stand. One person considers one day more sacred than another. Another considers every day alike. Each of them should be fully convinced in their own mind. Whoever regards one day as special does so to the Lord. Whoever eats meat does so to the Lord, for they give thanks to God. And whoever abstains does so to the Lord and give thanks to God. For none of us lives for ourselves alone, and none of us dies for ourselves alone. If we live, we live for the Lord, and if we die, we die for the Lord. 
So whether we live or die, we belong to the Lord. For this very reason, Christ died and returned to life so that he might be the Lord of both the dead and the living. You then, why do you judge your brother or sister? Or why do you treat them with contempt? For we will all stand before God's judgment seat. It is written, as surely as I live, says the Lord, every knee will bow before me. Every tongue will acknowledge God. So then, each of us will give an account of ourselves to God. Therefore, let us stop passing judgment on one another. Instead, make up your mind not to put any stumbling block or obstacle in the way of a brother or sister. I am convinced, being fully persuaded in the Lord Jesus, that nothing is unclean in itself. But if anyone regards something as unclean, then for that person it is unclean. If your brother or sister is distressed by what you eat, you're no longer acting in love. Do not by your eating destroy someone for whom Christ has died. Therefore, do not let what you know is good be spoken of as evil. For the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. Because anyone who serves Christ in this way is pleasing to God and receives human approval. Let us therefore make every effort to do what leads to peace and to mutual edification. It's quite a solid and indigestible chunk of scripture. And we'll return to it a bit later in the sermon for a little indigestible chunk of sermon. But before then, just having a little mouse trouble here. I look down on him because I am upper class. I look up to him because he is upper class. But I look down on him because he is lower class. <laughs> I am middle class. <laughs> I know my place. <laughs> I look up to them both. But I don't look up to him as much as I look up to him. <laughs> Because he has got innate breeding. I have got innate breeding, but I have not got any money. So sometimes I look up to him. I still look up to him. Because although I have money, I am vulgar. But I'm not as vulgar as him. So I still look down on him. I know my place. I look up to them both. But while I am poor, I am industrious, honest, and trustworthy. Had I the inclination, I could look down on them. <laughs> but I don't. We all know our place, but what do we get out of it? I get a feeling of superiority over them. I get a feeling of inferiority from him. But a feeling of superiority over him. <laughs> I get a pain in the back of my neck. <laughs> Thank you. 
Don't judge one another, Romans chapter 14. Because basically human nature is such that we are sort of clannish. While we know that in theory it'd be good to get on with everyone, in actual fact, we all like this. We all get on better with people who are like us. And sometimes that takes rather unpleasant consequences. Rudyard Kipling said, all the people like us are we, and everyone else is they. So everybody wants to be like us. I'm much happier with friends who are like me. You're much happier with friends who are like you. Now, in the uh, 1960s, when that little video clip was made, uh, the, the, the thing that everyone talked about was the social class that you belonged to. And you could either be you for upper class or non-you if you were not upper class. So I'll just leave it on the screen for a minute for you to look at the, the vocabulary and decide, uh, are you a toilet person or are you a lavatory person? And so on. Um, yes. Uh, we'll just let it stay there for a minute because, you know, back, back in the day, back in the day of the 1950s and 1960s, this was the thing that divided the country more than anything else. We all had our little groups that we belonged to and social class and accent and vocabulary uh, contributed to that. This is not the sermon. This is, you know, okay, so we'll just move on from there. So basically, you know, there's us and there's them. We all like us. And that puts a tremendous pressure on us to conform to each other. And if we're not careful, that desire to conform turns itself into a state of mind where, basically, I want you to be like me, because I'm right, particularly about the Daily Telegraph and the margarine and the pink loo paper. And that means that if you disagree with me, you're not just different, you're wrong, because I'm right. Now, we're going to come back to this business about being right in a minute. But what does the Bible have to say about this very human tendency to divide into groups of people who are like us that we feel comfortable with. Well, the Bible says very clearly in Galatians chapter 2 that thanks to the gospel of Jesus Christ, social divisions are broken down. There's neither Jew nor Greek, there's neither slave nor free, there's neither male nor female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. Divisions between us, us and them, are broken down by the gospel of Jesus Christ. So we have a little conflict to explore here between the scriptural principle that we are all united, we are all one in Jesus Christ, and the effect of human nature on our behavior, because human nature makes us gravitate towards people who are like us, and that's called tribalism. So we're just going to look at tribalism for a moment. Surely it doesn't affect Christians. 
surely it doesn't affect the Christian church. Does it? Well, in the passage that we read in Romans chapter 14, we discover that the Christians in Rome were in danger of going down the pathway of creating a private club which had rules that people were expected to obey. Because this tendency towards tribalism had turned itself into what we're now going to call legalism, a series of rules and regulations that Christians, if they were proper Christians were meant to obey. And in Romans chapter 14, it boils down to two things. It boils down to the sort of food that it's okay to eat and whether you treat every day of the week the same or whether you observe certain days as having greater significance because they're sort of festivals. And of course, we can see that probably the origin of this was the fact that a lot of people who had become Christians in Rome had come from a Jewish background, and if they'd come from a Jewish background, they were used to keeping certain feast days, and they were used to certain dietary restrictions. Surely it doesn't happen today. So what food can Christians eat? Is it okay, for example, for Christians to drink alcohol? And then what about eating pork? Don't forget, Jews couldn't eat pork. So if you were a Jew and you became a Christian, were you allowed to eat pork? Or did you have to find some pork substitute that sort of fitted in with your Jewish background? So rules about eating and drinking were divisive in the Christian church in Rome when Paul was writing to them. And perhaps... In our own lifetime, some of these rules have been a bit divisive. What about keeping days of the week? What about Sunday? Is Sunday a special day? Or what about other festivals? Should Christians celebrate Christmas? Now, we know we should celebrate Easter because Jesus told us to remember his death. But, some people say, he never told us to remember his birth. So should we be celebrating Christmas if we're Christians? Different rules, different approaches, and behind it all, the fact that if you disagree with me, you can't be right, because I'm right. Let's come back to the Bible for a minute. The second half of the book of Romans, from chapter 12 through to chapter 15, well, Romans began basically as a receipt for a gift. Chapter 16 is the receipt. But Paul being the sort of writer that he was, before he got round to acknowledging the gift, which is chapter 16, he decided he would write, you know, like 10 or 11 chapters of Christian doctrine, and then a few chapters to encourage us in Christian living. So chapters 12 to 15 are all about Christian living, and they're all about love. So let's look at this. So what should love be like? Chapter 12... Love should be serving and genuine. Chapter 13, love should be submissive and universal. And then the passage that we're looking at, chapter 14, which goes on into chapter 15, love should be tolerant. In other words, love should do away with that view that said, if I'm right, you're wrong. We should not be judging one another 
if we're Christians. Now, when I was preparing this, I read a commentary which I've just put up on the screen for you here because it's quite interesting. Paul's instruction about developing a Christian mind was completed in two verses, the first two verses of chapter 12. To discuss a right estimate of oneself and of others and the need to encourage others took six verses, the next six verses of chapter 12. A call to love one another filled 13 verses. Material on the question of the church and state, seven verses. Right conduct in the light of the imminent return of Jesus Christ, seven verses more. But now, the discussion of how Christians are to accept and support other Christians when they don't think or behave as we think they should fill all of chapter 14 and the first half of chapter 15. So in other words, this was a big thing in the church in Rome that Paul was writing to correct. And for all we know, it's a big thing for Christians today. So let's look in a bit of detail now. This is the the other heavy bit in the sermon. Okay, We're going to look in detail at a few of these verses in chapter 14. Accept the one who is weak in the faith without quarreling over disputable matters. One person's faith, one person's faith allows them to eat anything, but another who's weak in the faith eats only vegetables. The one who eats everything must not treat with contempt the one who does not. And the one who does not eat everything must not judge the one who does, for God has accepted them. So there's, there's two sorts of people in the church in Rome that Paul is writing to. Those who feel that they have to observe rules about what they should eat and what days of the week they should observe as special days. And then other Christians who are equally Christian who say, well, all that is in our past. We are liberated from that. We can eat anything. We can observe all days as the same. So we've got the one group and the other group. So what does Paul say to the first group? He says, if you're the sort of person who believes that, you know, you can live free of all these rules and regulations, then how should you deal with a Christian who wants to obey all these rules and regulations? You should accept them. You should not treat them with contempt. You should not look down on them because they are trapped in a system of rules and regulations that you've grown out of. You should not feel superior to them. You should not treat them with contempt. So one group of Christians is told, you must accept the other group of Christians. And what about the second group? What about the group who, with the best will in the world, feel that they really have to be careful about what they eat and they have to be careful about what days of the week they observe? What about them? They are told, you must not judge people who don't feel that they're obliged to obey the same rules as you. So one group of Christians is told not to treat with contempt another group, and that second group is told not to judge the first group. In other words, to major on what they've got that they both agree on, rather than majoring on the things that divide them. Now, a little digression now, because we just want to look at this expression here, about being weak in the faith. Now, in the translation that we've got, the the NIV translation, it talks about a person whose faith is weak. And I'm told, having looked it up in various um, commentaries, that that's not a good translation. 
If I talk about you ha- um, your faith being weak, what I mean is that you know your attachment to the Christian faith is weak. And that's not the same thing as saying someone who is weak in the faith. Someone who is weak in the faith is someone whose attachment to what he believes is strong, but his understanding of what he believes is weak. Can you, can you see the distinction? There's a distinction. No one is saying that some of the, the, the Christians in Rome had a sort of weak connection with God. They love God with all their hearts, but their understanding of their status as Christians was weak. Now, William Barclay, well-known, dead now, but a well-known commentator on Scripture, says uh, no, a person who's weak in the faith is probably weak in the faith because he's not understood about grace. And I'll take you back to a very famous book by Philip Yancey called What's So Amazing About Grace? And Philip Yancey asked two questions. He says, what could I do to make God love me more? Or what could I do which would mean that God would love me less? And of course the answer is nothing in either case. Because God's love for you and for me is not dependent upon how we behave and the rules that we observe. So a Christian who's got a weak understanding of faith is a Christian who hasn't really understood about grace and really secretly believes that you have to earn God's favor by keeping rules. So that Christian, according to Paul, is weak in his faith or her faith. But it's a funny business because over the the history of the Christian church, you know, you might look at somebody who's um, a stalwart attender at church, um, wears a suit, carries a big leather Bible every week, um, doesn't drink, doesn't smoke, doesn't swear, doesn't gamble on the lottery, you know, um, that person you say is a really, really firm example of what being a Christian is like. But not according to St. Paul. According to St. Paul, somebody like that is actually a weak Christian. A strong Christian is a person who's got beyond the need to behave in a certain way or do certain things. Puzzling, isn't it? confusing. Now, we just have another little digression just to say that we're not saying that there are not rules that Christians should follow. Um, I was looking in Galatians chapter 5 where St. Paul compares the works of the sinful nature with the fruit of the Spirit. Now, just so that we're clear about this, there are certain things that the Bible condemns, and here they come. Sexual immorality, impurity, debauchery, idolatry, witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and the like. But what he does in Galatians chapter 5 is the other side of the coin is not to give you a list of things that you should do in order to avoid doing those things. It's a list of qualities of personality and character that you should be praying that God will build in you. 
So the opposite of immorality, drunkenness, debauchery, and all the rest of it is this. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. So in God's church, we don't replace one set of rules with a different set of rules. We replace the need to obey rules with the opportunity to let God change us from within and create in us the sort of personality and the sort of character which is reflective of Jesus. One more little thing while we're in the the sort of solid bit of the sermon. Um, Towards the end of the passage we've looked at, it says this, if your brother or sister is distressed because of what you eat, You're no longer acting in love. Do not, by your eating, destroy someone for whom Christ died. So in other words, someone who doesn't feel that they need to obey lots of rules, eating, drinking, keeping certain days holy, and so on, should not use their freedom in such a way that someone else in the church with a more tender conscience is offended or has their faith destroyed because of the behavior of that first person. So, remember we had the strong Christians who were not to condemn the weak Christians, and we had the weak Christians who were not to judge the strong Christians. Now, the strong Christians are not to destroy the weak Christians by their behavior. Let's go on. Um, even today, but less today probably than when I was brought up. I I think about the church that I was brought up in in the 1950s and 1960s. And um, we we were a church that certainly preached the gospel and certainly taught me an awful lot about the Bible, so I'm very grateful for all that. But we had so many rules. You really wouldn't have fitted in in our church congregation unless you subscribed to all these rules. Um, one of them was about not drinking. Uh, another one was about not shopping on Sundays, um, just observing Sunday as a, as a holy day and not doing any shopping, certainly not buying an ice cream from a Mr. Whippy Van on a Sunday. And um, obviously... If you were a Christian in our church, you didn't gamble. I remember I um, tried to sell my Sunday school teacher um, a program to um, a fundraising fete that was happening um, in my school. And he was very worried about buying the program because there was a lucky number on it. And the the lucky number on the program was going to be put into dip. And he he was very against gambling. So, you know, lots, lots lots of things in the church that I was brought up in that you were definitely not meant to do. But, of course, there were things you were meant to do, particularly if you were a lady. Um, you know, you, 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 nobody discussed it. You just automatically wore a hat if you were a lady. Um, just as an indication of how things have changed over the years, when I was looking for a slide for this point, I went into Google Images and I typed Christian head covering, and guess what I got? Pictures of baseball caps that said, Make America Great Again. <laughs> Times have changed. But way back in the 50s and 60s, you couldn't be a Christian if you didn't wear a hat. 
And you definitely couldn't be a Christian unless you had a big black Bible. The bigger, the better. (laughs) And, of course, you couldn't possibly be a Christian unless you had a badge on your lapel. You probably didn't have to be a liberal Democrat, but you... Okay. Because what are all these? All these are all rules that we've invented, and we've invented them because basically we subscribe to the view that if I'm right, you're wrong. Now, come on. The Bible makes it clear that there are standards that Christians are meant to live by, but about an awful lot of things, we have to learn not to judge. In other words, it is possible to say, I think I'm right, and I think you could be right as well. Do not judge is what this passage is about. Just to end up with then, we've got four practical points to end up with. The first is this. You should make up your own mind on controversial issues, secondary issues, not issues connected with... um, Christian lifestyle and the way that I read out from Galatians chapter 5. Not to do with sexual immorality, impurity, debauchery, um, drunkenness, and so on. The Bible's quite clear. You know, there's no, there's no debate about whether those are good or bad things. But there's an awful lot of stuff where Christians can legitimately agree or disagree. Okay? I mean, I happen to think that there's only one country in the world that makes decent wine. And it's called France. Some of you will disagree. You're wrong, but you'll, you'll, you know, you'll, you'll, you'll probably disagree. S- certainly Scott would, but then, you know, um, he comes from the other hemisphere, so he can be excused. So, you know, we can make up our own mind about controversial issues. And we have to let other people make up their own minds. So you can drink Australian wine if you like, you know. Wrong, but you can drink Australian wine if you like. Okay. Um, And we have to learn the difference between primary and secondary issues. In Romans chapter 14, whether you ate meat or vegetables, whether you observe certain days or not, these were secondary issues compared to the main issue of belonging to Jesus Christ. And finally... We have to stop focusing on our differences and celebrate the grace that binds us together. We have to remember, as Christians, that what we agree on, what we have in common, is so much bigger and so much more important than the little behavioral differences that may otherwise separate us. Because we don't belong, as Christians, to the current in the world that says, you've got to be like me, to be accepted. We recognize that we're accepted by God and we can be different. We don't judge each other because Jesus is all and in all.